Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. Any of you guys remember when we were in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, and I, and I put this up on the screen, right? It, it's, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Well, apparently, it's harder than we thought because guess what? We're back on the same subject again as we were in Acts chapter 10 and 11, right? It's, it came right back. This, this subject of the Jews in the early church struggling to accept the idea that God would save Gentiles by grace, through faith, apart from any sort of introduction into Judaism with, you know, the law of Moses and circumcision and all that sort of thing. And uh, apparently it's really hard to teach an old dog new tricks because that's right where we find ourselves again in Acts chapter 15. And, you know, I can't help but think of what Jesus said. It's hard to pour new wine into old wineskins, right? And that's playing out right here in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15, as we watch this early church wrestle with the transition from law to new covenant grace. And there's been a lot of great debates throughout history, but none so crucial as this theological debate between law and grace. Which is it? Are we saved by law? Are we saved by grace? And this is going to become, this, this argument, this debate is going to become the reason for the first church council in, in the history of the church, and it's recorded right here in the book of Acts. And we should all want to know the outcome of this debate, because it's the most important question that we're going to answer in our lives. How you answer this, this question, is a man justified or saved by grace or by works? Or by faith, or by works, by grace, or by law. I mean, that's the greatest question you're ever going to answer, because that's going to how you answer that's going to determine your eternal destiny. I mean, it's a heaven or hell question. Are we saved by grace because of what Jesus did, or are we saved by what we do? Right. That's the most important question for for you and your your life, your destiny. It's the most important question. When you go to witness to others, you want to help them understand this, how to be saved, right? And it's, it's a question that led to a much-needed reformation 500 years ago. How is a man justified? By grace or by works? So that's what we're going to look at, and we're going to look at some various grace principles, principles concerning grace that will help us uh, live this out and understand it. And uh, remember, Paul and Barnabas are at their sending church, kind of like John Hansen this morning, huh? How great is that? Yeah, Bar Barnabas and Paul are right there back at Antioch, Syrian Antioch, filling everyone in on how God has opened a door of faith 
to the Gentiles. So we're going to pick it up here in verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren. Unless you are circumcised, well, where did I pick up here in the, in the other one? Okay. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying it's necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. And so the first thing we see here is uh, the debate, the debate that takes place. We see this heated debate at Antioch. Some men come down basically from Judea, which is interesting, right? Because they're obviously uh, going north to Antioch, but that's just talking about elevation. Anytime you're going to Jerusalem, you're going up. So when it says they go down, it's talking about elevation. But uh, they, these guys come down from Jerusalem, and they're teaching that unless a person is circumcised, according to the law of Moses, they can't be saved. And well, how does that line up with what we've witnessed in the book of Acts so far? I mean, what were these apostles preaching so far in the book of Acts? Have they mentioned circumcision as a part of being saved? Is, was, were they saying, God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him and gets circumcised is going to be saved? Uh, you know, no, not, not at all. It's whoever believes. Someone's going to ask the Philippian prisoner, or uh, prison guard's going to ask Paul in chapter 16, what, what must I do to be saved? And he's going to say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Pretty simple stuff, huh? But these guys want to complicate that. Uh, what we've witnessed in the book of Acts is preaching of justification, and justification means to be declared righteous, to be justified before God, means to have a right standing with God, a perfect position before Him. Justification, a right standing with God, comes by grace through faith, trusting in what Christ has already done for us. It's not what we do, it's what Jesus has done for us. And God has confirmed the grace message. In fact, in Acts chapter 14, Paul calls it, or Luke calls it, the word of his grace. It's the word of his grace, not the word of works. It's the word of God's grace in Christ. And after the Gentile Pentecost, if we could call it that, in Acts chapter 10, remember with Peter and Cornelius, um, they went through this discussion already that God saved these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people. That's what a Gentile is, non-Jew. God saved them by grace. All they did was simply believe. Right? God sent the Holy Spirit the moment 
that they believed the good news about Jesus Christ. There was no circumcision, there was no baptism or anything until afterwards. There was, there was baptism, there wasn't circumcision. But, you know, it's funny, they already had this discussion. Peter already described this event and to the party of the circumcision, and they all praised the Lord. They said, wow, God even grants to the Gentiles this, this same faith, this same grace. But here we are again. Isn't it amazing? The debate comes right back up, and it shows us that grace is continually on trial. Grace is continually on trial, and it's not to be compromised. And the reason why it's on trial again, it's up for debate again, is because we're, we tend to be, we are proud and sinful beings. I mean, we're, we're sinners, and it's hard for us as, as proud sinners to humble ourselves before God and just receive His gift. Because we always want to try and earn it. We always want to try and be good enough before God. I always want to, you know, I want to go, I want, to, I want my communion taking and my tithing and my baptism and my, my good works, you know, my helping my neighbor to be this, this righteousness that I'm conjuring up that I can present before God and say, look, God, I'm good enough now. That's what man does. But the whole point of the gospel is it's, it's trying to crush that pride that says you cannot be good enough. And you've just got to receive the gift of salvation. It's free. It's a free thing. So, even as believers, though, having been saved, you know, it's, it's funny. Maybe we make a little progress in the Christian life, and we start to look good and feel good. Right? We're getting some victory over sin in our life. And then, even then, we can forget that we're purely products of grace. Even though we get the gospel message, I mean, we forget the quarry of grace from which we were dug. Just a reference back to Isaiah 51. And I can say that because we have an example of the chief apostle in Acts, uh, Peter, doing the same thing, forgetting grace. Remember, he was, he, he's the one who... who Use the, the keys of the kingdom that Jesus gave him to open the door of salvation to the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 10, he was, he's the one who preached free grace. He was used of God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And yet, at Antioch, when these men come down to Antioch, Paul says, Peter became a hypocrite. You remember there was uh, Galatians. It was in Galatians. He start, Galatians talks about this, and in Galatians chapter 2, he, it says that Peter started to withdraw from the Gentiles and became kind of standoffish when these false teachers showed up, the Judaizers, trying to bring Judaism back into, into Christianity. Um, and, and Paul says he feared the party of the circumcision. So he preached grace, but he wasn't living it. And then it says, the rest of the Jewish believers joined in with Peter, and even Barnabas was carried away in the hypocrisy. Even Barnabas, even Peter. Thank God for Paul who stood up and said, this ain't going to happen. Okay, Folks, grace is always going to be on trial. Grace is on trial continually in every single generation every single generation has to fight for grace because every other religion in the world other than authentic christianity preaches works you've got to work to be good enough to get to heaven the gospel is the opposite you could not be good enough therefore god came down and died for you 
And so because the world is flooded with works-based, performance-based religion, we've got to be the ones who stand up and we stand firm in the gospel. And not be, do not stand firm and don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery, says Galatians 5.1. Um, you know, there's always going to be men, and maybe it's ourselves included, who want to try and add to that perfect work of Christ on the cross. They always want to add to it, even if it's just a little bit. You've got to believe and be baptized or something like that. And, you know, my job as a pastor is not to teach us new things all the time. Did you know that? I used to think that, you know, um, I could never be a pastor because I always had to stand up front and just teach you guys new stuff all the time, right? I had to be really creative and clever. Well, then I read for 2 Peter 1, verses 12 through 13, which basically says, Peter's talking to the church and he's in, he, in churches, and he says, you know, I've told you this a hundred times, basically, but I'm going to tell you again, because that's what we need. Uh, so much of the Christian life is just reminders, just remind me that I'm saved by grace. Just remind me of these good old foundational truths that we need, and that's what we're doing this morning, reminding ourselves of justification by grace through faith. Because if we get this justification wrong, nothing else really matters that we do. We just become a country club, you know that? If we don't understand justification by grace, what are we doing here? We can't do anything else right because all of our motives are going to be off. We're going to be working for grace rather than from grace. So let's look next at the discussion here. Uh, in verse 6, the apostles and the elders, they come together to look into this matter. After there, had been, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the good news of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them, the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit, just as He did also to us. What's He talking about there? Acts chapter 2, right? Pentecost. And He made no distinction between us and them, between Jew and Gentile, cleansing their hearts by faith. Since this is the case, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke, placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke, which neither our forefathers nor we have been able to bear, in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And so thankfully, Luke here is just summarizing this meeting for us. The last thing we need is to go through a very detailed board meeting notes. <laughs> but uh, there's a reason they call it a board meeting, right? Board. Um, anyway, ours, are, ours get pretty lively, right? We have dessert and things like that. We have fun at our board meetings. They're great. They're better than most. Um, anyway, the only, the only details that Luke really records is in regard to what Peter said, what James said, and the contents of the letter uh, that, they, that they put out as a result of their decision. And it says, after, some, after much debate, and I'm thankful we don't have all that, but Peter stands up and he reminds them all of when God called him to pioneer the salvation to the Gentiles. Remember, uh, this, is, this is something that was not Peter's idea 
whatsoever. He makes that point. He says, this was not my idea. He says, God made a choice. God made a choice. It was God who directed this grace venture to the Gentiles. The church basically just discovered it when God gave Peter, remember that vision of the sheet that was full of unclean animals and it came down from heaven and 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 God says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, by no means, Lord, never, I'll never do that. So Peter was denying it, and it took God three times of this vision to get it through Peter's thick skull that this is his will. This is his will. He, he, he don't consider the Gentile unclean anymore. And so Peter fought that, and God is the one who's been directing it. And so it was God's idea. And uh, that vision went beyond, obviously, eating unkosher food, food that was acceptable in the Jewish law. Um, it taught that God was accepting Jew and Gentile equally. We're, we're both saved by grace through faith in Christ. And, and the fellowship, the table fellowship in there, I think, was also being restored. And so here's what Peter does. He walks right into that, as a result of the vision, he walks right into that awful and dirty, uh, you know, Roman capital city in Israel called Caesarea out on the coast. Caesarea, and that's a place where a Jew would not be caught dead. You know, Peter had to be looking around for other Jews, you know, walking into this, like, Gentile city that represented everything that was wrong with Israel at that day, during those days, because it was, it was like, it was, the, it was the Roman capital in Israel. You know, it's a place you don't even walk on. And if you do, if you walk on the dirt in their, in their city, you, you know, you brush it off your feet when you leave type of place. Well, it's there where, where Peter preaches to a Roman official named Cornelius and some of his friends, and that's where God gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's this big Gentile conversion moment that was building up in the book of Acts. And... Uh, Notice that God gave that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to these Gentiles apart from and before any works. There was nothing they did. God didn't make a distinction and say, you know, if these Gentiles want to receive the Holy Spirit, they need to be circumcised and and baptized and take communion and tithe and walk an aisle and be converted to Judaism. There was none of that there. The Holy Spirit fell on them the moment they believed simply while Peter was preaching. And I love this. There was no induction into Jewish rituals. They did not become Jewish converts in order to become Christians. They just believed. And, 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 and I love how Peter says God knew their hearts. He knew in their hearts that they believed. He's the cardianostes. He's the knower of the heart. He knows when someone believes or not. They had believed, therefore God sent the Holy Spirit to indwell them, to save them, right? He cleansed their hearts by faith. And that was evidenced by the gift of tongues. Remember that? So externally, they knew that these Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit because they began to speak in the gift of tongues, in the gift of languages. The Spirit of God was evident through that, that they were truly born again, that they were truly saved. And how do we know that? How do we know they were truly saved? Because God doesn't send the Spirit, doesn't baptize someone with the Spirit who isn't saved, right? So Romans 8, 9 says, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. But if you do have the Spirit of Christ, you do belong to him. You are one of his. You could say the exact opposite, right? 
The possession of the Holy Spirit is an indication that we have been cleansed. We have been justified. We have become God's children. We've been saved. The moment that Holy Spirit, we believe, the moment we believe, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, the Holy Spirit comes and he baptizes us forever sealing us. He's like a down payment on eternity. The moment we believe, it's amazing. You know, the fact that we can grieve the Holy Spirit and we can quench the Holy Spirit through our sin is proof that we're sealed by Him. He doesn't leave us. It's an amazing thing. And that's uh, what Peter's making this point is that God testified to the gospel of grace. God's the one who testified to the gospel of grace. How do we know who has the right gospel, Paul or these Judaizers preaching works? Well, we could say follow that supernatural work of God. Through the miracles and through the signs and wonders, the miracles and signs and wonders are God testifying to the word of his grace. That was the whole point of those uh, apostolic miracles during the foundational era of the church in the beginning. God was confirming the gospel through them. Mark chapter 16 verse 20 says, God confirmed the word of the gospel by the signs that followed. So how do you know which word to follow? Well, follow the signs. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, God was testifying with them both by signs and wonder and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. These, these signs and miracles that the apostles did were so important in this foundational era of the church to establish the apostles as the divinely commissioned leaders of the church. I mean, how do you know? Which gospel to believe? Follow those miracles. It's part of who we, how we know today whose teachings to trust. Did you know there's a lot of false gospels out there that were written? How do we know? How do we know who's legit? How do we know which writings to include in the canon or not? We know because God confirmed it through the signs and wonders that the apostles did. And so nowadays, someone can do all the miracles they want. The Antichrist can come along. He can do all the miracles he wants. Guess what? I don't care who it is. I don't care who's doing a miracle. If what they're saying doesn't line up with the word of God that the apostles wrote, I ain't going to follow it. So now we don't look for the miracles. We look to the word. We look to the word that the apostles wrote that God confirmed. Make sense? Because there's a day coming, guys. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. There's a day coming... When a man named the Antichrist, influenced by Satan himself, is going to do all sorts of signs and wonders and deceive multitudes. And uh, I don't plan on being here for that. I don't know about you. But look at verse 10. Peter makes the point. If God makes no such distinction, if God doesn't make a distinction, and if he doesn't put a yoke upon the Gentiles, why should we? It reflects his own words from Acts eleven seventeen. If God gave to them, the Gentiles, the same gift he gave to us, the Jews, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way to start saying to these Gentiles, you've got to be circumcised according to the law of Moses, is to stand in God's way. In, in Acts 15, Peter says you're going to tempt God. You try to add to the gospel something, you're tempting God. 
to add works is to stand in God's way. Galatians 3, oh, right before Galatians chapter 3, he says, you're going to nullify God's grace. You'll make void God's grace in Christ if you add something to the gospel. To do so would be placing commands upon men that God himself doesn't place on them. And that's something that Jesus severely chastised the Pharisees for all throughout the Gospels. You remember that? These religious Pharisees had come up, and that's the group that we're dealing with here, some ex-Pharisees. They'd come up with all sorts of different commands, man-made commands. You can read about them in the Mishnah. It's like their catechism that they would actually take all these commands and place them upon men, and God hadn't made any such commands. So for every, every command that was in the law of Moses, here's a command, they would come up with several more laws. It was like a fence. So, they, it's like, so let's keep people from breaking God's law by making all these other laws. And so in time, they had this thing called the Mishnah, like their catechism, all the man-made teachings, and, and it was like they weren't even following God's law anymore because they just had so many religious man-made laws. And it became this incredibly heavy and burdensome yoke that, that people were bearing. And that's why Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. right? Come and take my yoke upon you. You'll find rest for your souls. They, they had just burdened people with all these man-made religious rituals and rites and rules and regulations. I mean, it was unbelievable what they were doing to people. By the, by the way, a yoke is just, you know... It should remind you of, of two oxen maybe pulling a plow. They've got that yoke upon their shoulders, weighing them down. That's what, that's what these guys were doing to people. And if the early church doesn't step up and rebuke this false gospel, uh, it's going to become a slippery slope to another yoke that's going to infiltrate the, the Christian church. And uh, these Judaizers, remember, circumcision is just you know, an initial requirement into the rest of the law of Moses. So they're planning to use just this one right to bring them into the bondage of the whole law. It's a slippery slope. Um, but Peter clears things up. He says, in one of the clearest New Testament statements on salvation, right there, verse 11, highlight that verse in your Bible, underline it, I don't care. Chapter 15, verse 11, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. Salvation is freely by grace because of Christ's work for us. After Peter, James, the Lord's half-brother, and a leader in the Jerusalem church speaks in verse 13, after they stopped speaking, James responded saying, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has described how God at first concerned himself about taking a people for his name from among the Gentiles. The words of the prophets agree with this, just as it is written. After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. And so, um, what James is doing is he's reinforcing from Old Testament prophecy from Scripture that Scripture is in agreement with this grace venture to the Gentiles. 
with the gospel going to the Gentiles. I mean, all we got to do is go back to Genesis chapter 12, right? Verses 1 through 3, and we see how God chose Abraham so that one day Abraham would be a blessing to the nations, right? God always wanted to bless the entire world through the nation of Israel. He wanted to use Israel to reach the Gentiles. And the Jews were expecting, at this point, uh, they were expecting, and they're still expecting, Jesus to come and to restore Israel, right? And to bless the nations. This is a verse that he's quoting uh, about the millennial kingdom. And we've seen in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 3, they're still expecting that Messiah to come and reestablish this thing. I mean, to, to, to reestablish Israel and to sit on David's throne for a thousand years. They're, 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 it's still there. The hope is still there. Heaven must receive him until that period of time, that period of restoration spoken of by the prophets. It's still there. And so James, I think, is using this prophecy about the coming kingdom in a similar way that Peter quoted Joel in Acts chapter 2. Remember, Peter, Joel talked about how the day of the Lord. He quoted Joel about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is still future, right? Kind of like the coming kingdom. It's still future. But just like Peter, James is finding application now. It's, it's from this prophecy that the Jews... So get this, from this prophecy, the Jews being overrun by Gentiles, that's what they're afraid of, a lot of these Jews, right? If the Gentiles are accepted, boy, this is going to become a Gentile church. Well, it pretty much did, right? There's just more Gentiles than Jews. But they're, they're worried about that. But from this prophecy, James is going to comfort not only the Jew, but also the Gentile, because the Jews see, wow, God's not done with Israel. He's going to rebuild that. This is a prophecy about the millennial kingdom, He will rebuild the tabernacle of David, and at the same time, God's planning to accept Gentiles without Gentiles becoming Jews. So the Gentiles still keep their identity. It comforts both Jew and Gentile, and it's an amazing thing. I love that, but uh, I wish we had more time to spend on that. But we're going to move on to the decision now in verse 19. Therefore, it's my judgment. James says that we don't cause trouble for those from the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and acts of sexual immorality from what has been strangled and from blood. Well, you won't cover that verse in a topical preaching sermon, right? Um, For from ancient generations, Moses has those who preach him in every city. Since he has read in the synagogues every Sabbath, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas, who was also called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers. And they sent this letter with them. The apostles and the brothers who are elders to the brothers and sisters in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have confused you by their teaching, upsetting your souls. It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. 
For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than the essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from acts of sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So I'm going to briefly summarize this. This letter obviously is in support of the grace gospel, clearly. Uh, but it also includes some suggestions related to the Gentiles' former way of life in pagan idol worship. When it talks about immorality and meat strangled from, uh, or meat from strangled animals that wasn't properly bled, it all has to do with pagan idol worship. There's a bunch of idol temples around in their day. And they would, kind of like in India today, right? And so they'd like strangle an animal instead of bleeding it properly, sell the meat in a market. And if a Gentile goes and buys that meat since it's a reduced price and invites a Jew over to their house for dinner, and the Jew eats that meat, it's really going to offend them, you know? And so this is all about fellowship now. It's all about fellowship. Um, there's a cross-cultural church forming here between Jew and Gentile, and he's, they're just saying that you will do well to abstain from these things since you're, you're called out of that sort of idolatry anyway, right? But by actually abstaining from these things, you're going to magnify also the unity and the fellowship of this now cross-cultural church. And at the same time, the Jew needs to remember that keeping kosher in their diet according to the law, uh, they need to realize that keeping the law isn't going to make them any more spiritual either. It's not going to make them better. You can still stay kosher, but it's not going to make you any more spiritual. So um, anyway, it just becomes, you'll, you'll notice Paul talks about this in Romans 14, it just becomes this, this gray issue, this gray area. And, uh, you know, I mean, so the Gentile doesn't want to make his Jewish brother stumble. So don't, don't invite him over to your house if you've got meat sacrificed to idols there, right? So we're both saved by grace and we're going to operate in grace toward others in the non-essentials. Again, Paul talks about that in Romans 14. He says, we pursue the things which make for peace and for building up one another. And notice it doesn't say, if you, if you keep yourselves free from idols, blood, and immorality, you'll be saved. It just says, you will do well. I like that. Uh, lastly, the delivery, real quick. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brothers and sisters with a lengthy message. And we got a lengthy message today, too, and some visiting missionaries. Right? After they spent some time there, they were sent away from the brothers and sisters in peace to those who had sent them out. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching, the word of the Lord with many others also. So they arrive, they deliver the letter, uh, they're back in Antioch. Look at the response there. It says they rejoice. They rejoice. And you would too, men, if you found out that uh, you didn't have to be circumcised as an adult, right? You'd be all sorts of rejoicing. You see why their souls were troubled, right? Um, ouch. But... That's not the ultimate reason for their rejoicing, I don't think, even though that would make a man rejoice. Uh, they're rejoicing because it was confirmed to them that God saves by grace and not by works. Hallelujah to that. Judas and Silas deliver a message. Paul and Barnabas stick around and continue to preach grace to this old congregation of theirs. And uh, in closing, 
I just have one, one passage I want you to look at with me, and it's Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. Three times in this, just for the sake of time, I'm not going to read through it all. You can read through it later. It's in your notes. Three times, just like God gave Peter that vision, three times. I mean, if God repeats something, it's time to wake up. He's trying to get his point across. Three times in this, it says man is not justified by faith, in, or not uh, justified by works, but by faith in Christ. Three times in these, this snippet of scripture here. We're saved, we're justified by grace through faith in Christ. And then secondly, Paul says, I live by faith in Christ. See, you're not, you're not saved by grace through faith, and then you go into the Christian life and you start to do it in your own effort. No, 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 no. We're saved by grace through faith. We live now by grace through faith in Christ. Me, I come to Christ, right? I get rid of all the legalism and the license. I mean, that's the work of the flesh. I get saved. I have a perfect standing before God. I have been united in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. I've been sealed. I've been forgiven. I have grace. I have an Abba Father. I have the Holy Spirit. I have a perfect position. I am saved by grace through faith in what Christ did on that cross. And now, Walking by the Spirit, I look to that grace that I have in Christ to live now the Christian life. And my state or my condition catches up with my position. Does that make sense? We don't serve for grace. We serve from grace. And I put a devotional in your handout uh, that will tell you more about that. We cannot earn salvation. It's freely received by faith. From there on out, we live the Christian life by looking to Jesus, what He's done for us, and depending on Him. If I, guys, thanks for your patient ears this morning. If I die, if I go on vacation this week and I just kick the bucket, Okay, if I catch a fish that's so big that it just eats me and it doesn't spit me out like the fish did with Jonah, if I don't make it back in two weeks, I want you to remember this. I have taught you this for three plus years now. First book we went through here, what was it? The book of Galatians. If this, is, if this were to be my last time in the pulpit, I would want you to remember this. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And you are going to live the Christian life by grace through faith in Christ. Just remember that. If that's all I ever get into are thick skulls, okay? I'll die a happy man. I'll die a happy man. I'll be happy because one, it's that grace that's going to heal your relationship with God. It'll reconcile you to God. And then secondly, that grace that you experience in your relationship with God is then going to overflow into your relationships with others in your marriage, in your family, with your kids, your friends, the two, the, the, 
the most important thing in this world, right? Our relationships with God 